0: Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 12 through 27. Ezekiel 3, verses 12 through 27. Ezekiel said, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv, who were dwelling by the Kebar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. And at the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, In order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered." But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live. Because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise and go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Kebar Canal, and I fell on my face." But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse for they are a rebellious house. Now, we will not get all of this covered tonight, but I hope to cover at least three quarters of it. Uh, The rest of it we'll finish next week. And so I want to start off in chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, the Spirit lifted me up. Now, this is a different type of lifting up than we saw in chapter 2, verse 2. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 2, you know, God had commanded him to stand on his feet and he'll speak with him. And verse two says, and as, as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. That was when the spirit of God stood him back up. And we see that happen here in chapter three as well, where he fell on his face and the spirit entered him and stood him back on his feet. But here in chapter three, when it says he lifted me up, this is actually more of a lifting up off the ground and picking him up between heaven and earth, if you will. Let me give you an example of a couple other times that this happens. Go to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8, look at verses 1 through 4. It says, "...in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there, and then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of, of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal." He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance to the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where where there was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. So here we see that he has this vision where he sees God and grabs him by the head, picks him up, Some of you out here don't have it. That probably ain't going to happen to us. But he picks him up by the head and picks him, lifts him up off the earth and takes him in a vision to Jerusalem. Go to chapter uh, chapter 11, Ezekiel chapter 11. Chapter 11, just look at verse 1, the first part of verse 1. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the house of the Lord, which faces east. So here we see, go back to chapter 3, that here the Spirit lifts him up. Now, I want you to understand that people that have this experience happen to them, as we see in Ezekiel and some other places, they always wrestle with whether or not it was actually taken there in the body or whether or not it was in a vision. And I want you to hear the answer. Yes. It's both. And in this instance, you're going to see that he's physically moved to a certain place. By the way, is God able to do that? We, we know a man uh, named Philip that had that happen to him, didn't it? When he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, and when they came up out of the water, God moved him to Azotus, and that's where he appeared there. At the same time, sometimes they're just visions where they're so real, they wrestle with whether or not it was they actually were there or whether or not they were there in the Spirit. Go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you'll see Paul talk about one of those experiences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I love how he words it here, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In other words, Paul says, it was so real, and I had a body. He could have taken me in my body to see heaven, but then again, I don't know. It could have just been in the Spirit. I'm not sure. And so when you do look at some of these examples, you'll see that there are times that they're moved, and there are other times that they're moved, but it's a a vision. I think this is one of those times where the Spirit of God picks him up and moves him to a place, because as you read here in chapter 3, verse 12, "...then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, like the sound of a great earthquake. And the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness into the heat of the Spirit, and the hand of the Lord being strong upon me, and I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv. Who were dwelling by the Kebar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days." I think in this instance, God picks him up and moves him to this place where the exiles are. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the exiles. Now, you, people say, well, why, what does he mean he was in, went mourning in, in the bitterness and heat of his spirit? Well, remember, he had already been given that scroll to eat, which was the words of God that he was to preach to the nation of Israel. And by the way, what were those words that God was to have him say to them? Words of mourning and lamentation and woe. And so as God was moving him to go do this, he wasn't too excited about the message that he had to bring. He wasn't like, ooh I get to go preach. I'll be honest with you, I love to preach. But there are times that God sends me to places where the message he has for me to give is not one I'm excited to bring. It's not easy to go to a place in this traveling ministry that God's given me, knowing that the message God has given me to give to that certain place is not one they'll like. And to be honest with you, I have had two pastors fired for bringing me in because of the message that God told me to preach in those places. Now, the good news is both of those pastors have brought me to their next church because they said, look, what you had to say was of the Lord and I want what is of the Lord said wherever I go. So uh, they both have brought me to the new places where they pastor. So that's the only person that wasn't excited about seeing me again with the pastor's wives. You know, they're like, oh, you again, you know, kind of a thing. But I understand in those times when I go to bring a message that I know they will not like, but God has told me to say it, I don't go. Can't wait to tell them this. No, I am not too excited about it. My stomach hurts. He went in that type of an understanding because the message that he was to bring was a message of warning. And lamentation and woe and the judgment that god's going to bring oh and by the way wait until you see the next few days when we get into our studies the next few weeks you're going to see god tell ezekiel to do some crazy crazy stuff i'm going to be honest with you if you've never read the book of ezekiel your jaw is going to hit the floor when you see what god tells him to do in bringing this message but when he goes he's brought to the kebar canal and he sits among the people that are dwelling there now i want you to understand and we're going to pull this out from scripture the people that he goes to speak to there aren't just the people of Judah who had been brought there in exile like he had. Remember, there are still people in Judah. There's still people in Jerusalem. Remember, Ezekiel had been taken. Nebuchadnezzar began his conquest of Judah, the southern kingdom, in 605 B.C. when he took Daniel and some of those guys, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and some of those folks to go and be a part of his kingdom there. And then in 597, he goes and takes Jehoiachin and Ezekiel and his wife and 10,000 people into captivity. But it isn't until 586 that the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem and the final exile into Babylon there uh, takes place. And so Ezekiel's been given a message to warn the nation of Israel about what is still to come and the judgment to come. But the people that are there by the Kebar Canal are a mixture of the people from Judah. And if you remember, the northern kingdom had already been taken captive by who? The Assyrians, and they took them to the exact same place. Remember, when we look at Babylon, that's where Assyria was. It was Assyria, and then Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians conquered, and they took over the land. And as you know, when time came for the end of the Babylonian kingdom, because God determines when kingdoms come into power and when kingdoms stop, and the Medes and the Persians took over and they lived in that same area. But go with me to, to 2 Kings chapter 17 and look at verses 1 through 6. 2 Kings chapter 17, look at verses 1 through 6. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, the king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel. Remember, this is when we still get the divided kingdoms. Northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. So Assyria hasn't totally taken them captive yet, but keep reading. It says that uh, Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, the king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. And then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria, and he placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. By the way, let me just tell you, this Habor River that he places them at is the Kebar Canal. So the Assyrians come and take the northern kingdom and take them into captivity in the area we now know in our study of Ezekiel is Babylon because Babylon's in power now and the place where they were taken the northern kingdom was taken to the Habor River which is the Kebar Canal. So there are a mixture now of mourners and you say how do you know they're mourners stick with me I'll show you in a second. There are a mixture now of mourners at the Habar River or the Kebar Canal which Ezekiel is taken by God to go speak to and to go be with. Now you say, Jim, and by the way, that's a mixture of Israelites from the northern kingdom and Israelites from the southern kingdom who have been taken captive. Well, how do we know they're mourning? Well, hopefully you understand by now. I'm not going to share with you speculation. I'm going to share with you the word. So go with me to Psalm 137. In Psalm 137... We're going to look at verses 1, 2, and 3. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and did what? And wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Here we see in this, and the, the, the rest of this psalm goes on where they start praying for God to finally one day pay Babylon back for what they've done. But they just said, we wept there at the rivers, at the waters of Babylon, where we were taken captive. And our captors tormented us and said, hey, uh, we used to hear you guys sing a lot of those songs of Zion. Go ahead and sing one of your songs. And they said, we didn't feel like singing and we hung up our lyres and we mourned. Ezekiel, well, go to Job chapter 2. You're right there in Psalm. Just back up one book. Go to Job chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through 13. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they each came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they didn't even recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Do you know why his friends come and spend seven days in silence? Because that was the way that you showed mourning and shared mourning with people in the Jewish culture. That understanding of that, and back in that day, because this is even prior to the nation of Israel here. But what they would do in that culture was, if you someone was in mourning, you would go mourn with them, but you didn't say anything for seven days. Now, of course, these guys break their silence after the seven days and aren't much help for a whole lot of chapters after that. But at least they started off right. But now, go back to Ezekiel. Look at verse 15 in chapter three. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were dwelling by the Kebar Canal and putting together 2 Kings 17 and Psalm 137, these exiles who are at the Kebar Canal are doing what? They're mourning. They're weeping at the river because of the, the exile, because of the judgment of God. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. Now at the end of the seven days, though, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his ways, wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he doesn't turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him. He shall die, because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that, it, all, that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. Now, we're going to spend some time tonight dealing with this issue Because to be really honest with you, in all my years of studying the word and preaching and teaching the word, this has been one of the passages that I have not fully understood. You know full well that you've heard me teach and show you from Scripture that the Bible does not say at all that if you don't tell them, they may never hear. We've heard preachers say that. If you don't tell them, they may never hear. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible is very, very clear that everyone has heard through creation, God's revealed himself, that all are without excuse. Romans chapter 2 goes on and says, even if they've never heard God's law, he wrote his law in their hearts and their consciences convict them. The Bible also goes on and says after that, that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, this gospel which has been preached in all creation. Romans chapter 10, right after it says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? It says, goes on and says, did they not hear? Of course they did. His word has gone out into all the earth but in all those years that I have been faithful to show you from Scripture that everybody does hear in some way or another, this passage has always been in the back of my mind saying, Lord, but that doesn't, what is this saying then? Because I know your Scripture is very clear that everybody hears. What is this passage saying? And be honest with you, I was nervous about getting to this section of 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 the study because I knew I've wrestled with it. But now that I really spend some time in prayer and saying, God, open my eyes and show me, I cannot wait to show you what it says. Part of the reason why this has given me a bellyache is it doesn't really say what I thought it was saying. And I can't wait to show you what it actually does say. We'll do that next week. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's lay some foundation, though, to understand this. All right. What we need to understand, it'll be helpful for us to note, that while Isaiah and Jeremiah were sent as watchmen to warn Israel and Judah, Of the coming judgment of God before the judgments took place, the nation didn't listen to them. Go to Jeremiah chapter 16. Put a bookmark here in Ezekiel 3. We'll come back to it. Go to Jeremiah chapter 16 and look at verse 17. If you know about the purposes of God through Isaiah, Isaiah preached to both the northern and southern kingdoms. And so did Jeremiah. But Jeremiah was mainly to the southern kingdom. Jeremiah chapter 16. Look at verse 17. And unfortunately, I wrote down the wrong passage in my notes, and it's about to kill me. I don't like when I do that. Well, I'll have to find that one for you later and bring it back to you. But it was a passage that actually said, I sent watchmen to them, but they didn't listen to them. That's what it said. And unfortunately, I marked it in my Bible, but now I can't find it. So, What's that? I am getting old. Actually, I, I'm getting old and I wrote down in my notes the wrong place. Let me see if it's 26 real quick. Just that's not 26 either. Don't know where I was looking, but I wrote it down. It's 617. It's 617? You're wonderful. Thank you very much, Susan. I'm going to take a pen and make it so I don't teach the, the wrong passage tomorrow night. 617. Jeremiah 617 says, I set watchmen over you saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not pay attention. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel were sent as watchmen to the nation of Israel, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, but they didn't listen, okay? Now, Ezekiel, remember, they were sent before the judgments came. Ezekiel is now a prophet in exile with the the Israelites in Babylon. And if you go back to our passage in Ezekiel 3, in this section that we just read, I want you to notice the singular terms here. Look at verse 18. God says, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him, singular, no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his way in order to save his life, that wicked person, singular, shall die for his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. So what I want you to see is, Jeremiah and Isaiah were sent to preach to the nation, and as much as Ezekiel's message was to go to them, By the time that Ezekiel is prophesying, he's prophesying as an exile among the exiles because they've already begun to be taken captive. The final fulfillment of the removal of Jerusalem hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And his message is to not only the nation, but really only to the individuals in that group who are going to listen now. Let's be honest. If you look through scripture and you watch history, God gives warning to nations. Ultimately, by the time of the end, It's to only the individuals in the nation because the judgment's coming. It's only now to the individuals in the nations who are going to respond because it's too late for the nation. And so that will help us understand. He was sent as a watchman, but God said, when I tell you to speak to an individual, you have to speak to that individual or I'll hold you accountable for their blood. Well, we'll get to what that means in a second. It will also be helpful for us to see that when God speaks of life and death here, he will live or he will die, he's, he's speaking of physical judgment because of sin and not eternal damnation, although that may follow for some. I want to lay this out for you. For years, part of the reason why I wrestled with this is whenever I heard he'll live, I heard salvation. Whenever I heard he'll die, I heard damnation, okay? But actually, this passage is talking about a warning of physical consequences for sin. Do we not know, and we'll get to that in more detail later on, but do you not know that the Bible teaches that if you walk in persistent disobedience, sometimes God brings physical judgment because of that. Here he's talking about a physical judgment because of sin for the individual. And it'll become more clear as I kind of show you. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, the mantle of leadership for the nation of Israel has been handed over to Joshua. In verses 16 through 18, they answered Joshua, chapter 1 of Joshua, they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us will do, and wherever you will send us will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Why are they saying that, hey, whoever doesn't listen to you, we're going to put him to death? Why did they say that? Well, the reason was God had already in his law through Moses said that there were to be physical consequences for certain types of sin, for certain types of disobedience. I'm going to give you a quick example of some. Go to Exodus chapter 22. I'm just going to look at verses 18 through 20. Exodus 22. Verses 18 through 20. Verse 18 says, "You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction." Now there's many other sins that God said, the consequence of this sin is that person needs to be put to death. We get the idea? All right, let me ask you a question then. Look look again at verse 20. Whoever sacrifices to any other god shall be put to destruction. Another should be put to death. What has been going on in the nation of Israel now over the past history, as you go back and look at all the history of the kings and the prophets coming to them. And not only was the nation sacrificing to other gods and worshiping on the high places or whatever, it had even made its way to the kings and they were doing it. They were doing this abominations in the temple, which you're going to see later on in our study. And not only did the scripture clearly say when God gave them the law, whoever worships another god should be put to death. The nation of Israel wasn't fulfilling this judgment that God said was to come. And they were even approving of everyone that was doing this so that God says now, hey, I told you a while back for these types of sins, there should be physical consequences for that. Since you're not doing what I told you to do, I'm going to take the meeting out of the physical consequences into my hands. And so why was God bringing a judgment on the nation of Israel and taking them into captivity, but at the same time having some people put to death? Was it not because of their sin? It was because of their disobedience. And so God says to Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to set you out as a watchman. And if I tell you to warn somebody and you don't warn them, I'm going to judge them because of their sin. They'll die because of their sin. But you'll be guilty of their blood. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But understand, what he was simply saying, though, was, then he goes on and says, but if the person listens and they repent, what'll happen? I'm not going to kill them. This doesn't mean that they'll automatically be in heaven. Do we get in heaven by just saying, oops, sorry, you know, and changing our ways? No, all along it's been by faith alone in his provision. He then all even says, if there's a righteous person, and by the way, there's no one righteous." But if someone's righteous, God's declared them righteous. It says if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and sins and you don't warn them, they're going to be judged. We'll get to that more a little later on is it how it applies to us as well. So what I want you to see is go with me to Ezekiel chapter 18. God, this isn't the, first, the last time, I mean, that God tells Ezekiel this same type of a thing. I'm going to show you two other places in the book of Ezekiel. And as we put these other two together, hopefully it'll become even more clear. In Ezekiel chapter 18, I'm going to read to you almost the whole chapter, if not the whole chapter. Yeah, I'm going to read to you the whole chapter. You've been good. All right. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes, and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous, he shall surely live, declares the Lord God. If, the fa- if he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor, needy, and commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends at interest, and takes profit. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. By his blood shall be upon himself. Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. This is the grandson now that we're talking about. And he sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the house of the idol, uh, house of Israel, idols of the house of Israel, and does not defile his neighbor's wife. Does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment. Withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest in, uh, uh, sorry, takes no interest or profit. obeys my rules and walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion robbed his brother, and and did what was not good among his people. Behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, Why should not the Son suffer the iniquity of the Father? When the Son has done what is just and right, and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father suffer for the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have, any, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness, and does injustice, and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered for the treachery of which he is guilty, and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Yet you say, The word of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, and he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest your iniquity be ruined. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. So what God has been saying all along is, is this, the soul that sins, it shall die. But I have no desire to put you to death. But remember how he told the nation of Israel way back at the beginning, if you obey my commands, you'll live in the land and you'll prosper. If you disobey my commands, I'm going to remove you and you're going to be put to death. You're going to miss out. This is a physical consequence for sin. And all throughout this, he's saying, but if you will turn from your sin, I won't put you to death. That doesn't mean they're going to heaven yet. Because all along, it's always been by faith in God's provision. And that's why he talks about the new spirit, the new heart. But he's saying that if a wicked person turns from their sins, I'm not going to bring a judgment. Remember how Jonah was sent to the nation of Nineveh? Thank you. And his message was, 40 days and what's going to happen? God's going to kill everybody. Jonah didn't want to do it, but he was faithful to be the watchman and preach to the message to the people of the coming judgment. The people of the nation of Nineveh said, whoa, and they turned from their sin. Repented of their sin. And what did God say? You're not going to die now. So in this passage here, when God's talking to Ezekiel, he said, I'm sending you to warn them that a judgment is coming. There's going to be death because of their sin. Now, if you warn them and they don't listen, they're going to die because of their sin. And you're not guilty of their blood. I'm not going to hold you accountable for their blood. But if you don't warn them, they're still going to die because of their sin. But I'm going to hold you accountable for their blood. We'll get to that in just a second. Stick with me. I don't want to keep laying the foundation. But the whole context here is I'm bringing physical consequences because of sin. If you're willing to turn from your sin, though, and say, God, forgive my sin, I'm going to let you live a little longer. Have you ever thought about why in the world God had The the judgment that was coming from Assyria and from Babylon happened over periods of time. I mean, it took three years for Assyria to finally get the attack of the northern kingdom like we read. And as we've been reading in our study, Nebuchadnezzar began in 605 and took some, but he left a bunch. And then in 597 he comes and takes 10,000 more and removes the king, but then he puts someone else in power there as a king. And then finally in 586 the final judgment comes and all these people are put to death and others are carried off. Why does God have it happen over periods of time? in stages. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's not wanting anyone to perish. But all the judgment here, the death is physical consequences for sin. It's not salvation or damnation, although that may follow. If some people die in that condition, they are eternally damned. So Ezekiel is told to warn people a judgment, a physical judgment of God is coming where God is going to put people to death because of their sin, and He was told to warn them. Now, go real quick to Ezekiel chapter 33. We'll get a little bit more information from there. Look at verses 1 through 9. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people... Then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's Hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn him from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, That person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Now, here we again. See this same type of a context. So what does it mean then when God says if you don't warn them, they're still going to die because of their sin, but I'm now going to hold you accountable for their blood. Back in the Old Testament, as I told you, there were consequences for sin. Physical consequences for disobedience. We saw some of those. A Sorceress, don't let her live. Someone sleeps with an animal like you're supposed to sleep with a human being, put them to death. They worship other gods, they're to be put to death. You also hopefully know from the Levitical law that if someone killed somebody, what was the consequence? Their life was to be taken. The capital punishment something God instituted. But I want you to understand that God is now saying, if I gave you a job and I commanded you to speak to someone and warn them, and you don't warn them, They're going to be judged because of their sin, but now you may be judged because of your sin. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not saying you'll lose your salvation. You're going to find that as we get into the context of this passage, we're going to show you some places in the New Testament that Paul talks about this. It's not saying that you'll lose your salvation. But if we walk in persistent disobedience to God when he's told us to do something, shall he not also bring physical consequences in our life? We're heaping up sins now that we may be judged physically for. And this is all that he's saying is, is I consider you now as one who shed, it, shed blood. There could be consequences coming to you now. This is pretty serious stuff, don't you think? I mean, this is some pretty serious, heady stuff. Actually, you're going to see that this is what Paul was talking about when he said a couple of things. in. we'll go to Acts chapter 18. Now, stick with me. Uh, There's a whole lot more about this we need to unpack. So don't run off screaming and scared just yet. But don't lose sight of how serious this is. In Acts chapter 18, look at verse 6. He's been preaching to these people. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Was he sinning by not going to the Jews, but by going to the Gentiles? No, because as you're going to see, that's whom God had told him to go preach to. You're going to see a big part of this is tied to who has God told you to go speak to. We'll get to that in just a second. But look at what he says. He said, your blood's on your own heads. I'm not guilty of whether or not you die. I'm innocent. I'm not in disobedience by moving on. Well, hadn't Jesus even said that? When you go into a town, let your peace go out. If it's received, stay there. If not, what? Move on. If they reject it, you're not responsible for whether or not they listen. Now go to chapter 20. It's even more clear. Look at verses 22 through 27. And now Paul says, Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will specifically happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my count course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, had Paul ever shed blood? Yeah, if you remember his history in the past, he was putting people to death and then taking them to prison because of their belief in Jesus until Jesus got a hold of him. He says, I'm the innocent of the blood of everybody. Why? Because I have been faithful to say everything God told me to say. This is important stuff, folks. We need to understand how seriously God takes his role that he's given us to be his messengers. But there's a part of all this that I don't want any of us to miss. We are only accountable for the ones that God has told us to speak to. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, Jim. Didn't Jesus say, go into all the world and preach the gospel? Remember Matthew eighteen, verse, oh, sorry, 28, verses 18 through 20, the famous passage where Jesus tells his disciples, all authority on earth, earth has been given to me, and I want you to go and preach the gospel and all make nations and make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Didn't Jesus tell us to go into all the world? Well, be careful. Not individually, he didn't. Actually, if you let the scriptures speak, if you look closely, God's not expecting everyone to be everywhere. For the sake of time, we won't go there. But in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, you remember the story where Paul is trying to go into Asia, but the Spirit won't let him go to Asia. He then tried to go into Mysia to preach the gospel, but the Spirit won't let him go. It's later that is the dream of the man of Macedonia. And that's when they realize God wanting us to go there. So we're not just to go everywhere. Any preaching that says you all better get out there and tell everybody is not good preaching. We need to be out there speaking, but we need to be knowing where has God sent us? Who has God called us to? Because we see in Galatians chapter two, verses seven through nine. Again, write it down. Go to there later on. Galatians two, seven through nine. Paul and Peter came to realize that Paul had been sent to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. And it says it twice in that section, Paul was sent by God to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. Now, go to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to show you something a lot of people may be shocked at. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verses 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus sent out his 12, he said, don't go to the Samaritans, don't go to the Gentiles, go only to the Jews. Why? Because at that time, it was to the Jew first, eventually to the Gentile. If you remember, these same guys now, full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them, Peter starts preaching, and they start all hearing him in Gentile languages. And then later on, Peter, the one who's going to ultimately be sent to the Jews, was given the vision that it was okay to go into a Gentile's house, Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10. And God says, whatever I've called clean, don't you call unclean, because Peter says, look, I can't go to a Gentile's house. You know, that's unclean. God said, whatever I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And at this time, Peter was told, you can go into a Gentile's house. But when prior, he was told, don't go into a Gentile's house. But now the Spirit says, now I want you to go into this Gentile's house. But then ultimately, he is told by God, I'm now sending you to the Jews. Paul, who had a heart for the Jews so much that he says in chapter 9, that if I can go to hell to let the nation of Israel be saved, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Yet, even though he had a heart for the Jews and he kept preaching to the synagogues and the Jews in the synagogues and they kept rejecting him, God then said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Your blood's on your own head. I'm innocent. I'm going now to the Gentiles. Why? Because a part of this, remember the singular part of the warning to Ezekiel? If I tell you to speak to an individual and he listens, good. If he doesn't, not good. So on. But if you don't tell the one I've told you to go tell. We have to all understand that we're not to go tell everybody. Sounds like really good preaching. And we can even get people worked up and get you all going and working for the Lord in your own strength. But as you've heard me say, I have found such joy in finding out that God doesn't want me to do everything. He doesn't even want me to do all the stuff you think I should be doing. Oh, I love the freedom of not being a pastor anymore with everybody expecting the pastor to do this and the pastor to do that. Because the church writes their job description. The sad thing is many of us have grown up under that kind of thinking. And how many of us are free enough to understand I'll only go where God wants me to go? Jesus had so many expectations of him. You should have been here. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, the one you love is sick. You've been healing everybody else. You've been in our house. You need to come heal Lazarus right now. And all the t- expectations, tell my sister to help me. I want you to go show yourself at the feast. All these things. And Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Go to Mark chapter 5. This is one of my favorite ones. Look at verses 18 through 20. He's just been used, of God and his power and Jesus in his own power, to heal this demoniac who had the legion of demons. As Jesus, verse 18 of Mark chapter, did I say chapter 20? I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5. I think I heard myself say Mark 20. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And Jesus didn't permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This guy says, I want to get in the boat and become one of your disciples. Jesus says, no, I've got a plan for you. And I want you to go to the home, to your home and tell people. But he told others, I want you to leave your father and your mother and leave the nets. And I want you to follow me. Do you see the danger of taking one passage and making that how it's all supposed to be for everybody? And that's unfortunately the kind of preaching we've heard. Jesus told Peter and John, James and John to leave father and mother and come follow him. You're all to leave father and mother and follow him. No, Jesus told this guy to go home. That's why we got to know what God's telling us. If Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the only way you can have faith is to know what God has said. Because you exercise faith according to what God has said. Faith can't begin until God's spoken. That's why we need as Christians to know what the book says so we can recognize who's talking to us. But we need not to be people who live by the book, but by people who live by the leadership of the spirit of God. And you are free that way to live as Jesus is telling you. And folks, let me just tell you, your church would be so much better off if everybody else stopped judging how everybody else ought to be living their lives and follow Jesus. Go back to Ezekiel 3. You'll see this even more clearly again right here. Look at verses 26 and 27. He's just been told by God, if I tell you to warn these people and you don't warn them, I'm going to hold you guilty as if you shed their blood. But look at verses 26 and 27. God says to him, and we'll deal with this more next week, and I'll make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to rep- prove them for their rebellious house. Wait a minute, God. You just said if I don't tell them, I'm going to be guilty of their blood and you're going to hold me accountable as if I killed them. Which, by the way, that means you could judge me with death because of it. But now you're going to tell me that you're going to make it so my mouth doesn't speak? That doesn't seem right. We'll keep reading. But when I speak with you, I'll open your mouth and you'll say to them, thus says the Lord God. Do you see it? In other words, not only are we to go to the ones that God's told us to go to, we're only to do it when God tells us to do it and how God tells us to do it. Folks, this isn't about us. The pressure's off. What if I don't know? What if I'm I'm missing the one? Oh, you don't know who he is, do do you? If you think you're going to miss it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You'll know. You'll know when he's leading you. But first off, you've got to stop living by the expectations of the Christians around you. And you find who it is that Jesus is wanting you to be. And the gifting that he's given you. And you stop listening to the preaching that says everybody ought to be doing the same thing. And you follow Jesus in the life that he has for you. And you're going to find there's joy in walking with Jesus. It's fun. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. There's power when you're letting God do what he wants to do. Stop trying to accomplish things for God and believe that he will use you for his purposes. By the way, I want to take some time in the time we have left to say something to you, though, that I really want you to hear. If we are going to be held accountable for the blood of all the people we've been told that God wants us to preach to, you're with me on that so far, right? This is why not everybody should try to be a preacher. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says that not all should try to be preachers and teachers because those of us who preach and teach will be held in higher accountability. You know why? We have been given a lot more people that we're to preach to. We're now accountable for a whole lot more souls. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. And judgment does start in the household of faith. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17 is what you're quoting there. Look at what verse 17 says in Hebrews 13. Folks, I want you to set your pastor free. Well, what if he's not doing what we think he ought to be doing? To his own master he stands or falls. And the Lord is able to make him stand, or the Lord is able to take care of him. If there's, David would not lay his hand against the Lord's anointed. Too many of us spend our time sitting around talking about the preacher, whether or not we think he's doing what we think he ought to be doing. Folks, you better listen. You're not the one who commissioned him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. Folks, let me just tell you, I haven't been a pastor for over 20 years, preaching for over 30 years. There were times I hated the job that God had given me. There were times that I actually would drive through a toll booth and think, man, I wish I had that guy's job. As I'm paying my toll, I would think, I bet you he doesn't go home and worry about whether or not someone's paying a toll. I bet you he clocks out and he's done. Oh, I can't clock out. I'm never done. I'm always on call. People are always, and forever, I'm dealing with emails or phone calls or visits. I had people when I was pastor here come and talk to me about the fact that my pants were too baggy at the bottom and and, and how I shouldn't have been wearing shorts at that episode there. I shouldn't have said this and even tell my wife how she should wear her hair. We have not really understood the fact that The Lord is the one who's in charge of everybody here. Yeah, the Bible says we're to talk to each other about sin, but it's you who are spiritual. After you've prayed through the whole process, when God shows you, how God shows you, and you do it for restoration, not judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we won't turn there. Paul says, this is how you should regard us as servants of God who will have to give an account. And then he goes on, and I'm learning to say it now. Paul says, I don't care, therefore, I'm judged by you or any any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, he said, because I don't even, that doesn't mean, I don't have anything against myself right now, he said, but it doesn't mean I'm acquitted. I'm going to let the Lord show me. Did you catch that? See, you could easily go from this message and fall into that, but Lord, what if I'm not telling the people I'm supposed to tell? And all of a sudden, you're under fear. The Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear. If it's fear, folks, it's coming from the enemy, not from the Lord. Paul says, I don't even examine myself to see how I'm doing. The Lord will show me. So let me set you free tonight. Yes, this is a serious thing. You will be considered in the eyes of God if he tells you to share with somebody and you don't, as if you were a manslayer. And by the way, consequences are coming if you continue to walk in disobedience. Oh, but what did the scripture say? If someone was guilty of judgment and they realize it and they say, wow, I'm sorry. God says, I'll take the judgment away. Folks, lastly, there's still physical consequences today for persistent sin, even for those of us who have eternal security. We'll never lose our salvation. But does the Bible not teach that if you as a Christian who have been sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption, does not the Bible teach that if we walk in disobedience to what he said, that he'll take us home early? That was a question. The Bible says that, doesn't it? Well, if you don't know, let me, let me show you 1 John chapter 5. I've quoted to you many times he, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul's talking about how the church was treating each other and how they're taking the Lord's Supper incorrectly. And it wasn't that they didn't consider the body and the blood. It was actually they hadn't considered how they treated each other. And because of that, some were sick and some were dead. By the way, Ananias and Sapphira, folks, we're believers. Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? That's because the Spirit of God lived within them. You haven't lied to man. You've lied to the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It wasn't easy to be a part of the church at that time. Ananias and Sapphira were judged by God with physical consequences. Ananias and Sapphira are going to be in heaven, but they're going to miss out on a ton of reward. And they were given physical consequences because of sin. Look at 1 John chapter 5. Look at verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death... He shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that doesn't lead to death. In other words, folks, God's still taking people home early because of persistent disobedience to his commands. Have there been people that God's told me to speak to that I haven't spoken to? I'm going to say, most likely probably yes. But for the most part, as far as I understand, I can look you all in the eye and say, "Your blood's on your own head." Everybody listening right now? Your blood's on your own head. Because I have been faithful to share what God's told me to say. And I'm not worried about what man thinks. I'm worried about what God thinks. So I want to set you free tonight to go out and be the watchman. Listen as we close. Did the watchman go out, or did the watchman stay and warn everyone that were his responsibility? The second one. Did you catch it? The watchman was set on a wall. Some of you mamas have been set on a wall in your house. Some of your grandmamas have been set on a wall in your house. Some of you, he's called to go and travel and to set on a wall to the places he sends you. Jeff, he set you on a wall at the seafarer center to all those that come there to be a watchman to them. But you're not responsible for the ones that don't come. Don't listen to the preacher say, you better get out and go tell them if Jesus has told you to stay home. If he's told you to go, you better go. And I don't know what he's told you. And neither does your preacher. You follow Jesus. And you share with everyone that he's brought in your path. And you, whether they hear or refuse to hear, it's not your job. It's time we stop measuring how we're doing and believe that God's able to get his stuff done. Can't wait to show you more next week. Thanks for coming. We'll see you then.